Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 104 of X Lapsed, where it's uh, it's X Factor Day. And uh, for folks who've been listening along, they know that the last time we had an X Factor Day, it wasn't one of my favorite days. Um, the time before that, we had an X Factor Day. It was pretty cool. I wonder which side of the aisle this issue will fall on, because it is X Factor, volume four, number three. Had a November 2020 cover date. The story is called... Suite number three, Mojo vs. Sonata the Second, A Celestial Rondo. Ugh. Written by Leah Williams, with art by David Baldion. Colors, Israel Silva. Letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Beast, so white, Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale September 9th of 2020. Let's hop right on into the book here. We pick up basically right where we left off, uh, for better or for worse. X-Factor is fighting against some geeks in Mojo World. Uh, Spiral, you know, Spiral, the, the girl with all the arms, she shows up to provide some color commentary because, after all, it is Spiral's showcase. Now, it's not long before X-Factor wins the fight, and they're properly introduced to Spiral's streaming audience. Which, yes, as we've mentioned, this is most definitely what current year Mojo World would be like, but that doesn't mean I gotta like it. Uh, now, Northstar tells the audience that they are here about the dead mutant girl. The whole point of the, you know, the trip to Mojo World is about the dead mutant girl. And we'll find out a whole lot more about that as we work our way through this issue. But first, roll call. Northstar, he already said something, so he's here. Polaris, Dakin, Dakin, however that's pronounced. Prodigy, Prestige, iBoy, and Aurora, who is almost always in mid-eye roll under these pencils. I mean, she looks good, but she's always rolling her eyes. It's, you know, I guess it's a look. From here, a single-page spread of credit. Despite the precious and long-as-hell title this issue has, they fit it all onto one page, so... uh, I'll tip my hat to you. Back to comics, and Spiral is chatting up X-Factor for her audience. Now, Prodigy wants to know who the dead mutant is, uh, as that information is currently being kept behind a paywall... Spiral promises to spill the beans because she was saving them for a moment just like this, where the cameras are rolling and she might profit off a live reaction. But first, a word from our sponsor. Really? Discount comic books are... Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm not sponsored. Who, who, who the hell would sponsor me? This is Spiral's showcase that's sponsored by some headshot TV thing. While in commercial, Rachel tries to read Spiral's mind, but cannot. Headshot TV provides psychic shield implants or some such. We'll see these a few times during this issue. Spiral has her assistant, Ginny, uh, use some ugly lighting for the big reveal scene here to just amp up the uh, the tone. And I get the feeling we're supposed to know who this, this Ginny is, but search me, uh, she's just a generic mutant girl to me. So, 
The show resumes and the beans are spilled. The dead mutant girl is Wind Dancer. Now, if you don't know who that is, she is from the Tsunami era New Mutants and the Academy X era New X Men. So, figure 2004, 2005-ish is when she made her uh, debut. Now, the ugly lighting, which they do use, doesn't really make the scene any more compelling, but eh. Now, after finding out that Sophia, Wind Dancer, allowed herself to be shot to death for public consumption, Headshot TV advertises that they will be airing her autopsy. Which, I mean, I know Mojo World or the Mojo Verse is totally consumed with uh, media and stuff. Uh, this still doesn't sound terribly intriguing or interesting. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Anyway, X Factor wants to know where Sophia's body is. Maybe, perhaps, is proof that she's dead so that the Five can resurrect her? I mean, if we're going back to what happened in the first issue of this series, maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they just want the body. I don't know. A spiral zaps the entire team away to the battle pits, which, as the name suggests, is a streaming, fighting arena sort of a thing. But first, let's shift scenes back to the Boneyard. Aurora is still watching Headshot TV, but gets up to grab a snack or something from the kitchen. There, she finds a fellow who probably wouldn't mind having her for a snack, and that is, of course, Dakin, Dakin, whatever we're calling him. Worth noting, she's got Amazing Baby with her as well, who I, I think really needs to make friends with, uh, with you know, our new pal Jeff the Landshark over in Deadpool. I think that'd make for a, uh, a fun combination. Anyway, Aurora and Dakin, Dakin, they flirt for a bit, with the latter almost always in a state of roll-eyes, which is... Perhaps just her flirty face. At least it's drawn well. She looks good. Now, after breaking the ice, Dakin Dakin apparently takes the conversation just a step too far as it pertains to being personal. He asks if he can ask a personal question. She says, sure. Well, he asks about the man in Bellingham, Washington, who Aurora was meeting when she died. Bada bing, bada boom, Aurora is gone. She does not want to talk about that at all. Let's go back to Mojo World, because we gotta. Uh, X-Factor is battling in the battle arena when suddenly they see the champion. The Ultimate Warrior. Well, that's looks kind of like the Ultimate Warrior, but actually it's Shatterstar. Now, he is uh, kind of shocked to see his pals, and he informs us and them that he is the top live streamer in the Mojoverse. Which, I mean, if X-Factor really had done their homework, you'd think they'd... Uh, probably already know this, right? Like, I mean, live streaming is all Mojo World is in current year, so it would stand to reason that X-Factor would ha at least have a clue as to who the top streamer is. Oh, well, look at me thinking too hard again. I'll, I'll try not to make a habit of it. So, North Star and Polaris try to talk some sense into Shadowstar, but he ain't hearing it. Now, he proclaims to love it here in Mojo World, and he claims that everything is completely hunky-dory. He says Mojo loves mutants, but he also peppers in some hints regarding what this place might have planned for Sophia's remains. Oh, and it was also he who sent the bottle to the Boneyard last issue, which apparently didn't contain booze, but actually blood, which is pretty gross considering that amazing baby was lapping it up. And I really, I could have sworn, I haven't pulled the book out to check again, but I could have sworn that Rachel put some of it in a glass in order to drink. Maybe I missed the storyline where she became a vampire too, or maybe my mind just filled in some blanks that weren't actually there. You never know. 
I guess I would know if I pulled the book out, but I'm not about to do that. Anyway, he shares with the team that Arise, a geneticist, is working with Mojo in order to create basically cannon fodder clones for Headshot TV. So he's basically, this Arise guy, he's basically a Xerox machine for mutants. I think we first saw him back in that original Longshot miniseries, and he's popped up again and again. I think he might have been responsible for Mojo 2, the sequel from the uh, Shattershot uh, uh, annual event from uh, 1991 or 1992. Anyway, Shatterstar then brings the team to where Sophia's body is being held, and he tells them that the autopsy will begin in 20 minutes, and that many, many folks would be rather perturbed if something were to happen to to delay that. But it's spun in a very pro-Mojo world sort of way, the way he's explaining this here, which X-Factor takes as code for get the girl and get gone. Polaris turns to Shatterstar and invites him to come home with them to join X-Factor. She says he belongs there, but uh, he keeps up being pro-Mojo. Polaris asks if he can speak freely, and in Krakoan, Shatterstar replies with no. Polaris promises that they'll be back for him, and they embrace. Meanwhile, Northstar speeds into the place where they're keeping Sophia and snags the body, so all's good in the hood. From here we get... Three text pages. Nope. Nope. Don't don't do this. Three. Pa- no. No. This is a comic book. Don't. No. If you have this much information to pass along to us, you can do it in sequential art. I'm sure of it. I'm sure you can do it. So no. 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 No three text pages in a row. We can take these as our credits because after this we get a post credits sequence in which Storm, Psylocke, Domino. Gwenpool and Mystique are having a drink at the Green Lagoon when they're hit by a rainbow, just like Wolverine was at the end of Wolverine number five. I gotta wonder, is this an Exitens thing or something else that we're gonna have to add to the episode rotation? So I haven't the foggiest idea. If anyone listening knows, please, please help a fella out because we are rapidly approaching Exitens here and I don't want to interrupt it for whatever the hell this rainbow thing is if the rainbow thing is not Exitens. So uh, please. <laughs> Help me out. Let me know where this is heading, if in fact it's heading anywhere. But that is X-Factor number three. Next up, we're going to be talking about X-Force number 12, but I guess we ought to talk about this, huh? I'll say this much. X-Factor, current year X-Factor, this version of X-Factor, X-Factor volume four, whatever we want to call it, it's still not for me. It's still not for me. I, I I did hate this far less than I did last issue, though, in fairness. Uh, last issue, I mean, if you heard that episode, that was a tough one to put together. It was a tough one to get through. It was a tough one to promote because it was just so negative. And it was really one of those, you know, make me consider stopping the show sort of episodes because the thought of doing that week after week after week, yeah, not not uh, <laughs> not something I was looking forward to. That issue was just aggressively not for me, while this one was just, eh, not for me. So that's a step up. That's a step in the right direction. And in fact, I think there were a lot of things that worked here. First of all, and it's weird for me to start with this, but um, you win. The art's winning me over. (laughs) I'll I'll concede. The the art is winning me over. I'm starting to enjoy it a lot more than I thought I would, Uh, especially going into it. Just the, the odd angular faces just really turned me off initially. Here we are a few issues in. Um, I guess I'm more accustomed to it. I'm more used to it. It fits the tone of the series. It's just, it's okay. It's, it's, it's good. 
I'm okay with it now. So there's a good thing. Um, Mojo World is still kind of a bore to me. Not my favorite place to hang out. I do understand that times are changing, and uh, it would stand to reason that Mojo World is not going to be um, obsessed with television and, and, and film so much in uh, current year as they would be in something like streaming. You know, It makes perfect sense. Still not something I care to read about, but I'll hand it to them. This makes sense. It works. And, uh, you know, mileage may vary on whether or not it works well, but I think it works well. I think it works well. It's just not speaking to me, and it doesn't have to. Not everything is going to. I tell you what I really enjoyed here, and it was the very brief scene between Aurora and Dakin Dakin. And I never thought that a, a Dakin Dakin scene would be a highlight for me, but I thought this was very well done. Um, it was an interesting kind of like getting to know you sort of chat. And we see here that there's more to Dakin Dakin than uh, just wanting to bang everything that moves here. He he used his opportunity here. He asked Aurora if he can get, ask her a personal question, which could have went in any number of different directions, right? And instead of asking something, you know, pervy, he went ahead and he asked about an X-Factor case. The first new X-Factor case, the Bellingham Washington de- uh, fellow there. I thought that was pretty cool, and it really... I mean, it's a its a small way of showing depth for Dakin, Dakin, but uh, I think any step is a step in the right direction here because they haven't been very subtle with Dakin, Dakin. About as unsubtle as I am by mispronouncing his name all these different ways. But they haven't been subtle with him. He's been very much a one-note, funny ha-ha. Hey, he's the... Uh, He's the pheromone guy. Everybody wants to do him. Eh, ha ha ha. Here, he's showing that he does have an analytical side and a problem-solving side, and he's on a team called X-Factor Investigations, and here he is investigating. I like that. I thought that was really cool here, and it makes me f- realize that there's probably a lot more to that story between Aurora and the fella in uh, Bellingham that... Uh, you know, maybe it'll maybe we'll learn more about it. It seems like it might be an interesting little uh, story spur that we can get to. The use of Shatterstar was pretty cool. Um, I thought it was neat to see him. I haven't seen Shatterstar in quite some time, so it was nice seeing him here. Um, I don't know where he's been. <laughs> I've, you guys know me. I've been away, so I don't know where Shatterstar's been. But it's cool to see him here. It's hard to disassociate him from Mojo World, so it's. It's good that they have him here in such a prominent position in this uh, new look, current year Mojo verse. So, I like that a lot. I like the fact that he was the one who brought X Factor here with that uh, really disgusting blot, a bottle of blood or whatever it was. And I like that. Uh, I like the way he was portrayed here as being very gung ho Mojo, but at the same time, we know that he's only speaking the way he's speaking because he knows he's being watched. I thought that was really cool here, and it it actually gives a little bit of a, maybe not so much a sense of urgency, but a sense of, uh, I don't know, facilitating and necessitating a trip back to Mojo World that won't be perhaps as, for lack of a better term, cringy than this first one was. So, fingers crossed for that. Um, I'm really coming away with this one more neutral than anything uh like i said uh, at the get-go still not for me but uh not aggressively so 
and it didn't make me want to cancel the rest of this program. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So if you're still following X Factor, and if you're anything like me, well, God help you, but you'd probably like this issue better than the second issue. So moving in the right direction, hopeful for uh, future stories that I might find a little bit more intriguing. But uh, I think that's all I got to say about X Factor number three. But before we jam out of here, let's hit the mailbag here. Uh, we're going to start with Damien. Who's talking about Wolverine number four? Now he says, This is the kind of Wolverine story I like. He's thrown in with a group of mysterious characters with questionable motives, and we get to see him work out what's going on. Of course, I would prefer it without the beginning and the ending. Now, the Wolverine story. Uh, this is. Wolverine number four, I thought was a really good issue. A really fun issue, and it kind of zigged when I was expecting it to zag here because. I was expecting this to be wall-to-wall vampires and uh, Omega Red, you know, just kind of grinning in the corner. When it wasn't that at all, it was really this odd... What is that episode of The Twilight Zone where... It's a pretty popular one where there's like seven people on a bus, but the but the bridge up ahead is iced over, so they stop at a diner. But when they get to the diner, there's eight people there. And they wonder where this eighth one came from, you know? And there's all this suspicion and all this paranoia... That's kind of the feeling I got from this issue because you have Wolverine go to this this bar, this just really dirt hole bar, and there's just this odd assemblage of people there, and you don't know who they are, what they are, where they came from, and we learn more and more about them as we get through the issue, and it's uh, I thought it was really well done. Uh, the beginning of the issue, well, the beginning of the issue was a joke that uh, that Damien will discuss in just a minute, and the end of the issue was. Uh, well, something that Damien will get to as well. So let's get back to Damien's message here. He says, Wolverine used Magneto's helmet as a toilet. Ha, bloody ha. <laughs> Are we seriously seriously meant to be impressed? His attitude to Krakoa is completely different to the one shown in House of X and X-Men. He's showing disrespect to a group that includes his girlfriend and two of his best friends. It doesn't seem very likely. The same scene might have worked if it was just Charles and Magneto. It wouldn't have helped the joke, though. Yeah, the opening here with Wolverine proclaiming that he uh, peed in Magneto's helmet. Yeah, I don't like that very much. <laughs> I think I, I probably ranted about that quite a bit during the uh, during that episode. But uh, Damien's right on the money here. It just seems unnecessarily antagonistic to a group that includes people he cares deeply about and people he knows so well. Just it's just it's a real dick move, you know, and no pun intended, I suppose. Uh, Damien continues, and the ending: Omega Red kills the most interesting group of characters in the whole book, and loads of vampires show up during a snowstorm. I feel a yawn coming on just writing that sentence, and yes, that's when I had the reminder that uh, yeah, we're right, we're reading a comic book, <laughs> and it's going to uh, yeah, we eventually have to get to the vampires, and I was not looking forward to that. Damien continues, I'm not surprised that dot 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 except Wolverine is becoming a bit of a catchphrase when you discuss the feedback. What Damien means by that is that in all the feedback here, we're uh, generally positive about all the Dawn of X Wave 2 books. Uh, X-Factor started off hot, Hellions is strong, Cable is exceptionally strong, and then there's Wolverine. So we, <laughs> one of the catchphrases has been, oh yeah, I'm loving Dawn of X Wave 2, except Wolverine. <laughs> now, Damien continues, 
Percy has good elements in the stories, but they don't quite come together. The fact that this is credited to two different editorial teams might be part of the problem. I feel like Percy could write a great Wolverine comic with the right editing. And I agree, and I would take it a step further to say that Percy would write a great Wolverine comic with any editing. We've seen a number of times in the uh, Dawn of X books that Percy is a very capable writer, and and he's put together some of my favorite issues from this entire run. We can look at those X-Force issues with Domino and Colossus. Excellent stuff. Really, really good stuff. And here in Wolverine, I mean... This middle section of uh, issue four was really, really strong. So I feel like it, with any sort of guidance, it could be some really good stuff in the offing here. I, I just don't, uh, just don't know where where the happy medium lies here, right? Uh, Damien continues. I love the fact that everyone keeps agreeing with your comparison between Gambit and Phantom X, as I can't stand either of them, no matter how often people try to convince me that they're cool. Yeah, I, I was surprised that people were gonna. Actually, agree with me on that. I thought that that was going to be a bridge too far for some uh, some folks, especially with as highly regarded as the Morrison run is, uh, including you know me. I I regard it quite high, quite highly myself. But yeah, there are a lot of similarities there, and uh, don't care about Phantom X, but I am a product of my environment. I did come up during the early '90s, so I do have a fondness for Gambit, no matter what. But. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, for checking in, Damien. It's always great to hear from you. And now we're going to do something a little different, a little interesting here. Our friend Evan Bevins here, I don't want to say he live-tweeted, but he live-DM'd me his journey through Empire colon X-Men here. So I have all four issues of Evan's hot takes here, and we're going to talk the whole way through. Now, Evan says, I've made it to X-Men Empire number one. I read the main Empire story, which was tip, t- pretty typical fare after a twist ending to the first issue that may have been telegraphed miles away before, but still caught me off guard coming in cold. I knew horticulture was coming back, which was cool with me, but I dreaded it for your sake. As far as a starting point for a tie-in, I like a rather simple concept of the plants versus zombies and the featuring of three mutants that haven't figured prominently in the Dawn of X so far. Magic gets around, but she's growing on me. And I think it was... I think it was Jason who wrote in and uh, said that he appreciated Empire X-Men for it being, you know, kind of taking the piss out of the Empire uh, main, you know, the hyper-dramatic, hyper-bloated uh, <laughs> event that it was. So I can understand uh, coming into it and being a little bit more optimistic than I was. I, I don't know... I don't know what it is with me that these tie-ins just... They, they never seem to work for me in that... And it's weird, I'm at like this odd tipping point where like, I want them to matter, but at the same time I don't want them to matter. I don't want them to have anything to do with the main story, because that would mean I'd have to follow the main story, right? But at the same time, I don't want them to be throwaways. I mean, the, the Plants vs. Zombies thing, was it was cute in that it is a topical or semi-topical reference, I suppose, but it's something that we can kind of glom on to. For me, it felt a little too funny, haha. And uh, not something I wanted to invest in for, uh, you know, for three whole other issues, three whole other episodes even. Now, Evan continues. I guess I should be glad they're bleeping out most of it, but I'm getting tired of all the expletive cursing in uh, issue two. And, and by expletive cursing, I mean like Hubert speak, you know, like the ampersand, appersand, all that kind of stuff. I mean, if it's just the old ladies in horticulture, that's fine. 
I know it gets your goat, but at least it's a character trait, right? <laughs> but this, it's everybody. Except for the one old lady who keeps saying D-word and F-word, I guess she's her own person. Yeah, I guess so, right? Because there was a lot of the Cubert uh, speak in this issue. The uh, And not like Andy or an Adam Cubert. I'm talking about the, the little uh, video game character, the little arcade guy, the orange guy with the nose, you know, who goes, you know, when he gets hit by the coily snake. It was a lot. It was a lot, and magic was just throwing it around like crazy, and it was just a little much, wasn't it? Evan continues. Wait, wait, wait. The Shadow King is on Krakoa? That seems like it needed more preamble than part of a crowd shot at the end of Empire Number 2. I know Apocalypse and Magneto are there, and even Sinister, but they have roles, functions. I'm no expert on Farouk, but I can't imagine a single redeeming quality he brings. And I know it's, all, it's open to all mutants, Omega Red included, but that guy needs to be addressed in a story. I might find that more shocking than The Crucible, but that's hyperbole, probably. Totally, right? I mean, that was one of the, my main takeaways from the end of Empire Number 2, was the Shadow King's here? I mean, the Shadow King's a bad dude. <laughs> a real bad dude. And I, I don't know if I just romanticize him from... You know, my start in the fandom being right after the Muir Island saga, where he was just looming large and all that stuff. But it feels like that maybe we should have heard that the Shadow King is here. You know, there should have been more than just wasting him in a in a crowded shot. It's like Colossus in X-Men Fantastic Four. We don't know where he came from. He's just there. He's just in a crowded shot. And he's on a cover of, of one of them, I think. So it's just weird stuff. Evan continues. I'm pushing through to issue number three. I can see your frustration. With so many crazy elements going on here and the problems stacking up on top of problems stacking up on top of problem, I wanna like it, but it almost reads like a wannabe Marvel zombies, which I didn't really enjoy much beyond the zombified cover images. Cursing, gore, etc., just for their own sake? No thanks. Yup. <laughs> Evan continues and wraps up with number four. He says Whatever its other faults, Empire X-Men number 4 had a nice moment, I thought, when Explodey Boy chatted with Explodey Boy. I'm not sure why Beast decided he needed to be there, but it was nice to see that they've started resurrecting all those lost on Genosha, which shows that Sinister's collection efforts were vast and effective, and it put more depth into the resurrections than we usually get, all through a character we'd never met and might never see again. Oh, who am I kidding? He'll be back, maybe wielding an Explodey sword. Well, yes, uh, that that scene between the two Explodey Boys was the highlight of the entire series there. And for someone like me who can't get past the fact that this guy was actually just called Explodey Boy, it doesn't say a whole heck of a lot, because I wanted to like it a lot more than I did. But I couldn't get over myself, you know? Uh, just the fact that they call him Explodey Boy is just, okay, I get it. We're, we're all very precious. We're all very cute. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that stuff. But if I'm able to take that out of it, it was a very touching scene. I'm not exactly sure what, uh, as Evan says here, why did B send him there? Did B send him there knowing that the zombie explodey boy would sacrifice himself? Or were we just going to give up the living explodey boy because he did come with the jetpack? Was he going to fly himself into the uh, whatever the hell monster's mouth and blow up? And we would just resurrect him later because... That's what we do on Krakoa now. We we set up, you know, perfectly healthy mutants as cannon fodder and kamikaze. I don't know. Is that how little we value life here? But, again, if I'm able to pull all that out, it was a very touching scene. And it wasn't half bad. 
and I don't know if we'll ever see him again. I kind of hope we don't, but at the same time, being a slave to lore, I guess maybe I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't hate it quite as much as I'm letting on, right? But uh, that was Evan's journey through Empire Colon X-Men. I really, really appreciate you sharing all your thoughts with me as you were doing it. If anybody else would like to do that, definitely feel free. You can hit me on uh, on Twitter at Ace Comics. I'd love to hear. I, I'd love to go with you, journey with you through your uh, thought processes here uh, as you work your way through certain stories and certain arcs and stuff like that. I think that could be a lot of fun. So, if you are interested, hey, definitely don't don't be a stranger. Hit me up. And as for anybody else, hey, don't be a stranger. Hit me up. <laughs> you can uh, reach me on Twitter at Ace Comics or at WeirdComicsHistory at Gmail you can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com and xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. You can talk with us about all sorts of stuff on Facebook. Our little group is called 90s X-Men, 90s X-Men, no hyphen. And then you can listen to anything you'd like to on the Chris and Reggie radio network, Chris and Reggie channel, whatever I'm calling it, at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that is where we'll leave it for today. X-Factor 3 is in the books, and uh, we survived it, and actually didn't hate it. So, good things, good things all around. So, thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me today. And until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.